Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. A lot of people are back on the bandwagon of the energy independent call following Russia's invasion with Ukraine. And if it can be green energy that powers our future, can that be possible? Is that really the answer? A lot of people say, yes, that's exactly what we want. Uh, So then the question is, is green energy really the silver bullet that we think it is? Is there a silver bullet as it relates to energy policy? Or is it more complicated than that? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Very pleased to have back on the program Phil Rossetti. He's the resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute studying energy and energy policy. And uh, thanks for joining us today, Phil. Thanks for having me. Of course, everybody's feeling the uh, the pain, the pinches at the, uh, at the pump and uh, looking at gas and energy prices. And uh, obviously, there's a lot more to it than uh, just what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening uh, with Russia. Uh, you had a piece in uh, Real Clear Policy uh, talking about the fact that there are As we look at how do we deal with all of this, there really is no uh, lovely silver bullet in terms of energy security, is there? Unfortunately, there isn't. Uh, You know, we got to remember that global energy uh, demand is huge. Uh, It's a massive portion of total global consumption. Uh, Energy production is huge and it takes place all around the world. And as a result, we're kind of at the mercy of these uh, global swings in supply and demand. Uh, That also mitigates our opportunities to have some sort of silver bullet or one-size-fits-all solution that we can just implement at home. And you'll always hear the politicians say, okay, you know, we've got it. Here's the answer. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, and then they're not always going to be the best solutions. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I'm glad you pointed out the politicians on that because they think there's just a silver bullet for everything. And there's just there are no silver bullets. I'm going to write a book by that title. There are no silver bullets. Uh, you, you brought okay. into, into your piece, Phil, uh, just some really great comparisons uh, going back to 1979. Of course, President Carter delivered his famous crisis of confidence speech. Which, interestingly, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, uh, aside from the energy policy pieces that I think were the big downer <laughs> of that particular speech. Uh, but give us the, the application of that. What happened then, and how are we seeing that replay now? It was a, a really interesting time for energy policy because, you know, similar to now, gas prices had essentially skyrocketed. Uh, and this is largely due to political pressure that was applied from 
OPEC uh, over the U.S. support of Israel. And at the time, there were price controls on domestic oil. So there really wasn't a lot of domestic oil production, and we were really uh, reliant on foreign suppliers. So the solutions that government was pushing were a lot of things like, you know, solar. Uh, President Carter famously put uh, solar panels on the roof of the White House. At the time, we used a lot of oil for electricity, so it made sense to, to pursue that. Uh, and there was also, you know, this idea of renewable fuels, alternative fuels, and interestingly enough, shale oil, uh, which really didn't come into its own about 30, 40 years after the fact. Uh, After President Carter's big speech, President Reagan won the election. He came into office. He lifted price controls. And then domestic producers increased their production, and the prices came down. So I think what we're seeing here is this push for some new solution or hey, don't worry about gasoline prices, we're going to go EVs or something like that. Those things are really far off, uh, even though politicians have their eyes set on that now. And we really shouldn't ignore the basic aspects of how do we increase supply in the near term to bring relief. Yeah, and, and haven't we seen that uh, as well in places like Germany who who tried to do just that, uh, flip the switch, you know, move to renewables and, and green and electric cars and uh, and suddenly found themselves actually more dependent on Russian oil uh, than before. Is is there danger in trying to make that leap? I, I think everybody agrees, let's be careful stewards of the environment. There are ways that we can be cleaner and greener and all of those things. Um, but isn't there also some risk that we end up being more dependent on that? I think it depends a lot on how we go about this. EVs are, are good, not just for the environment, but actually reducing our uh, sort of level of influence that we see to foreign energy producers. Uh, but we also need to be cognizant of our own energy production, that we're not saying, okay, put a lid on domestic energy production and just push the EVs. It really should be, okay, how do we reduce our dependence on uh, any kind of foreign suppliers or reduce their influence while still pursuing EVs and domestic energy production? Uh, So I think that's the big misstep that we see where if you try to centrally plan this or or think that you have the solution, you're just going to push it, uh, that's where you really run afoul because it takes a long time to make these transitions and you can't get around interim energy demand. Yeah, and that's that's one of the areas where we've seen uh, President Biden lean in. Uh, obviously, he's made some requests to foreign countries to increase production. Uh, how is that playing out, and how is that likely to impact that supply and ultimately the prices? Well, it hasn't played out well for him. Uh, so early on with the spike in gasoline prices, uh, President Biden was going to Iran, Venezuela, uh, you know, trying to get them to increase their oil production, uh, Saudi Arabia especially. Uh, and before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, he had gone to all of the members of OPEC Plus uh, making this request, which essentially included Russia. Uh, this doesn't really work well because these countries are artificially constraining their production because they're not private companies that produce uh, oil in those countries. It's really a state owned enterprises. So they're all working in concert as a cartel to keep production low and force prices up to increase their own profits. So for them, they like this environment. They, they're they very happy with the high energy prices and that they don't have to increase their production. Uh, and, and the only thing we could offer them would be some sort of concession or re- uh, reduction of sanctions on them, which is probably you know not a good foreign policy because you would just signal to everyone that, hey, you know, we really care about human rights or uh, these really big, important international issues, but only when gas prices are low. Uh, so that's what we need to avoid. And um, and President Biden hasn't found any success in that strategy thus far. 
And obviously, if you essentially plan, uh, you also have the potential of missing the up and coming, the the even better, the new technology. If you're you know if you're picking winners and losers from from command and control central, uh, what are some thoughts in terms of uh, going green, but and controlling the cost, but how do we actually do that in a way that we can make it more reliable, sustainable, uh, and affordable? Well, you hit the nail on the head about this need for competition. Uh, so when we think about a global energy transition addressing uh, these big environmental issues, which are you know, obviously very important and going to stay with us for a long time, the key is, okay, how do we do this at a low cost and really incentivize global adoption of new technologies? To get there, you have to have a competitive environment where someone says, hey, you know, I've got a cheaper EV or something, and, you know, these high gasoline prices are going to be a, make it a really good deal or a good bargain or, or maybe an alternative liquid fuel. Um, you know, maybe ethanol prices could come down or something like that. These sort of innovations uh, only happen when you have a free and robust energy market. If you try to say, okay, you know, this is the solution, everyone buys an EV or everyone uses renewable fuels, you might actually be preventing the rise of a potentially better technology. Uh, So it really takes some humility on the part of uh, politicians to understand, hey, we don't know everything. We've got to have a market that allows for new entrants. And also that that means that there is going to be some level of uh, continued use of incumbent suppliers, which are conventionally fossil fuels in the interim. Uh, So it, it really is just about restraint and valuing the outcome rather than trying to dictate the outcome. Mm, I think that's so important, and I, I do think humility is the indispensable trait. If we could just import that a little bit into Washington, D.C., I think that would go a long way. Before I let you go, Phil, uh, one of the other things that we often see in Washington is something that you point out powerfully in in your piece, and that is that so often we end up with politicians who focus on energy policy, uh, policy on an ideal world rather than the than the real world. Uh, what's the, what's the bridge uh, to make sure that we're we're shooting for the ideal? Uh, we're going for those kinds of things in big ways, uh, while still living in the reality of the the here and now, the demand that's clearly outpacing the supply. Uh, I would say the big answer to that is some understanding of giving credence to the market and getting those outcomes. Uh, so the real risk with this kind of idealized system is if you are in a position where you are using your authority to say, okay, here's what you can't do because, you know, we've run the numbers and we know that this is cheaper or something like that, uh, that is going to run afoul of reality because those, it's just not possible for someone in Washington to have perfect knowledge of everyone's individual cases and situations. If we want to get those outcomes, really it comes down to making sure that we have some sort of value of those outcomes. There's a ways of doing that in a more market-friendly environment, uh, you know, we look at, uh, you know, some systems where they have, you know, like cap and trade mechanisms or things like that, which are probably not going to pick up here. They're not very popular. Uh, but really making sure that we're saying, okay, it's the emissions we want to address, uh, making sure that we're accounting for life cycle emissions, uh, maybe considering how a lot of our natural gas exports actually displace foreign coal or higher emitting uh, sources of energy. Looking at that and saying we want to allow those solutions to flourish, I think is better than saying we have the solution and therefore you must adopt it. Great insight as always. Phil Rossetti, resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute, uh, studying energy and energy policy. Uh, Phil, thanks for joining us as always today. Thanks for having me. As always, there are no silver bullets, but there's a lot of important 
thinking and even more important conversations to be had when it comes to becoming energy independent. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.